Welcome to the Bodies by Brent podcast, the podcast designed to help you get the fitness, health, and life you desire. I'm Brent Ruska, and on today's episode, we have Elizabeth Swale. Elizabeth Swale is an entrepreneur, weightlifter, mom, wife, and wellness expert based in Austin, where her and her husband, Michael, run their holistic wellness center, Alive and Well. Liz has a complicated journey into health and wellness space as she grew up experienced turbulent home life, disordered eating, suicidal thoughts, and poverty. She and I discuss her childhood and compare the then and now of her life, touching on how she transformed her own health by making changes over time. We also cover how Liz believes that women can have it all and what having it all is, those four to five pillars uh, we go deep into what those are and how to cultivate them. Also, of course, the benefits of weightlifting and what it really takes to truly transform your life, your body, and your fitness. Liz is an amazing, glowing human being. She is a staple resident here in Austin, brings so much joy and well-being to everybody here. If you haven't been to Alive and Well, you definitely need to check it. Before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 about a month or so ago, and I've been using it as a replacement to caffeine. I am six days caffeine free. If you're following me on Instagram and TikTok, I've been getting a lot of feedback that I'm a hilarious individual. If you're a personal trainer listening to this, you understand the addiction, or if you're from Seattle, you understand the addiction of caffeine and coffee. Now you combine being from Seattle and being a trainer, you would feel great sorrow for me. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's the one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. It's cheaper than getting in all the different supplements for yourself. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year supply of supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash bodies by Brent. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash bodies by Brent to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. And the last thing I want to mention before we jump into this is last August, I did an ayahuasca retreat that was Definitely life-changing and helped propel me forward in making changes in my life. And I have recently kind of completed all the messages and missions that I was given during that ceremony. But recently, the Yawanawa family, where most of this wisdom came from out of Arc, Brazil, uh, is in need of urgent help. Several weeks ago, it rained for a week straight in Arc, Brazil, where the Yawanawa are from. The Gregorio River quickly rose and water flooded most of the villages. In the show notes, you can go to the GoFundMe. We're trying to raise money, even five bucks, something you would buy an extra coffee for a friend. will go a long way with helping uh, the people in Brazil. The best way, I was always taught, the best way to support the Amazon rainforest is to support the indigenous people. If you want to keep the... It, the Amazon rainforest alive and well, you need to support the people that live there. So if you feel the call from your heart, donate five bucks, follow the link in the show notes. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, guys, let's get into this episode. Liz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. The other day we were having a training session and, you know, we got, you know, conversing about kind of our philosophies on life and training and 
you know, we were having such a good conversation. I thought it would be, you know, horrible if we didn't record this conversation. <laughs> and I thought it would just be fun to have you in front of me and just, you know, learn about your life and all your different ways of thinking about, you know, creating the life you want. Because it seems like you have created such a, a vibrant uh, center for people to heal and find health and well-being. And you yourself are a very radiant individual. I know a lot of people look up to. So, oh, Thank you yeah. so much. So you said to me that women can have it all. <laughs> yeah. When you say that, what, what does having it all mean to you? Yeah. For me, maybe maybe in this order, but definitely I think faith having a higher power and having that very integrated into my life, a family. For me, that means children. Like I definitely didn't know I wanted children until I got a little bit older, but that has become part of my having it all. And then my health. And sometimes I debate which of those should come first because you got to be healthy to take care of your family. But I love my family. I would die for them. So <laughs> sometimes I, I sacrifice some of my health, like sleep and whatnot to take care of my family. But yeah, I think health is super important and we can kind of get into what that looks like. And then just close relationships, friends, community. and then thinking, yeah, community. And you know, for me, that means a lot of female friends of all ages. Like I love having people around me that are younger than me, people that are way older than me, who've just at different stages at different points in time. And sometimes you have friends who are at the same stage, but at different ages, you know, friends who are having babies at 40 and women I know who are having babies in their early 20s, but they're, they have different perspectives. And it's just so enriching to my life to, to have all that knowledge and wisdom around me. So that's super important. And then thinking beyond my life, like, what am I going to leave behind? So, and while I'm here having that purpose and a reason to get out of bed besides my family, besides just my own selfish desires to enjoy life. And then beyond that, like, what am I going to leave behind? So a legacy. So all those things to me are having it all for just my personal awesome. perspective. Yeah. So faith, fitness or health, mm -hmm. family, community, community, a purpose, and then legacy. Legacy. Yeah. So I want to dive into each one of those. <laughs> but before we do, take me back to, you know, your childhood growing up. Yeah, that's interesting. So my, my mom was 13 and she got pregnant with me and had me when she was turned 14. And my dad was 17 years old. Uh, she, my dad is uh, Mexican and my mom is from the U.S. Do you know and what part of Mexico your dad's from? My family's from Cuernavaca, which is kind of uh, central, like a little bit south central. And then part of my family's from... a near Monterey, so northern Mexico. So there's always these interesting family disputes of <laughs> the different cult, you know, cultural differences between the north and south of Mexico. But interesting. It's pretty fun. So my dad's parents raised me. And I kind of mentioned that just to bring in how that played into my life is that my dad, who's Mexican, his parents raised me. So I grew up in a very culturally Mexican household. And, you know, my dad was really the first generation born here. And so I was raised like I was first generation by my grandparents, even though I was actually the second. And my parents, my real parents were in and out of my life. My dad went to the Coast Guard. He really kind of messed up there. He was sort of, you know, this is in the early 80s. He was made an example of he smoked pot and and the air in the Coast Guard and they kicked him out, made an example of him. And it really kind of destroyed him as a person. Yeah. And he became a drug addict. And so he was very in and out of my life. And when he was there, it was not like a really cool <laughs> dad experience, you know? Yeah. He's just doing his best. Yeah. And then my mom, she just, 
had a crazy childhood. I mean, really? she, she met my dad because she'd run away from a home. Her father had beaten her pretty severely and her stepbrothers were like sexually abusing her. And instead of taking her side, my grandmother, her mother sent her to a home because she just didn't want to be alone and face that reality. And anyway, so my mom ran away from home, that home shelter and met my dad and <laughs> clearly acted very responsibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then was pregnant with me. Everyone told her to get an abortion. She was too young. And I guess, interestingly, my mom just thought of me as her family. And she really just, she told me she's, she's gone, passed away now, but she always told me she just wanted family like all her life. She just wanted this like normal family. And when she was pregnant, she's like, this is my chance to have my own family, even at a really young age. So your grandparents mostly raised you. <clears throat> yeah. So they raised me at the end of the day. And do some of these values where they were instilled from your grandparents? Yeah. So I don't, I mean, it's definitely not just a Mexican cultural thing, but mm. we ate every meal at home. You know, we family it was super important. And even though, but my grandparents worked at night, they cleaned movie theaters. So I would kind of like get up at 1am with them and go to different movie theaters and sleep on floors and in the car wow. and then go to school and cause they didn't want to leave me at home alone. And then so there was kind of a mix of like total chaos and very kind of dysfunctional things. And I certainly saw a lot of drug abuse. I also had an uncle who was a drug addict and I mean, they would like steal stuff from us. Um, their friends would like try to touch me. I mean, there was wow. like a lot of really dysfunctional things happening. And I knew it of it. Like I remember being five, six years old, finding bags of hypodermic needles and knowing what they were for. But on that same note, like my grandparents were married for 60 something years they are the cutest. My wow. dad would like smack my grandmother on the butt while she was washing dishes. So I saw this like incredible loving wow. relationship. And my granddad always like really taught me to value myself mm. and that I was important. So I never really, you know, felt that like I've still had that father figure, even though I saw this other crazy stuff and, you know, kind of fast forward to some crazy childhood years of function and dysfunction and kind of seeing both sides of it. And then def and being a teenager and I was super emotional and I tried to take my own life in high school really? and I was super depressed. I was just really depressed and I felt very alone. And I'd been, my grandparents are both Mexican and they, you know, so they're the, they are amazing people, but maybe not the best parents. Like they weren't super into my business. <laughs> like somebody should have been in my business. Somebody should have been yeah. like, what are your grades? What are you doing? But I was a dancer and a gymnast. Okay. And so I was very high performing in those ways. And those, that was my outlet. And I'm so grateful that I had that outlet. And I think that just kind of really was the foundation to how I feel about exercise now. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, like having that saved my life because I could have gotten in a lot of trouble, but I had to like stay responsible and stay healthy and stay on track to be competitive in gymnastics and dance. And, and my parents weren't even taking me to that stuff. My coaches were taking care of me because yeah. they saw potential. And I'm super grateful that I had that skill that allowed me to be valuable to somebody, I guess, which yeah. <laughs> I don't know it can be problematic valuing somebody for only their skills. But <laughs> anyway, it worked for me. So what, case, what led you to want to take your life? I, I just felt really alone. My dad had, I was embarrassed about a lot of things like my, I couldn't have friends over because I think people sort of knew that I had this weird family and no one, my grandparents were Mexican again and they didn't understand everything I was going to. Of course, no one could understand me at that time, but you know, no one was it's really lot, even trying. It's, it's a lot going on. Yeah. And I just, I think at that age when you're like 15, 16, 17, you, you do feel alone in general. Like that's pretty common. I don't know. I just, 
I just felt really alone. And I had like a best friend stab me in the back in a really just horrible way. And it, it just broke me like, wow, I can't even trust my friends. And I just, just felt super dark and alone. And I think a lot of it, honestly, when I look back is I've had a lot of, <laughs> this doesn't sound like it should be, but it, it t- totally is. Like, I think I had a lot of gut issues mm. and it's just like a functionality that your brain is dependent on your gut health and vice versa a lot of times. And I really think the way I ate did not help the problem. Like I had some natural tendencies toward depression and kind of seeing all those crazy things growing up and being like, why can't I just have a normal dad? And I was super embarrassed about my life. And Mm -hmm. I think I kind of mentioned this when we were talking is I, I sort of created in my mind what I thought my life should be like. Well, I should have had these parents who went skiing and I should have had this family that mm-hmm. celebrated Christmas in this way. I just had this like picture of it and kind of wanted that to be it. And when that was exposed in any way, it made me feel very less than. And I think that's kind of where I was, where people were noticing these, that my life was really not lovely and it made me feel very exposed and sad and dark and alone. And anyway, so. Are you willing to talk about what you decided to? Yeah, I, um, I had epilepsy kind of bouts of that when I was younger and I took two bottles of different pills and one of them was like an antidepressant. So I just took like 40 of them. And then I took a bottle of Tegretol, which is like, um, an anti seizure medication and it's a time released. And so it takes it takes a while to get out of your system and to even get in. Anyway, and my granddad found me on the floor when he came home and I had been having seizures and there was a mess on the floor. And I don't remember any of that. I just what my dad, my granddad told me. And then I came out of that. I was in a coma for like three and a half days or three days or something like that. And, and then I went through like their in hospital kind of treatment. And I, I've always been sort of like, Uh, emotionally intelligent more than anything, probably. Mm -hmm. And I just knew what the doctors needed to hear for me to get out of that situation. I'm like, okay, this is, I'm a good girl. I do this. This was wrong. (laughs) Like, I know exactly what you want to hear from me. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just got out of that and I didn't really deal with it. I didn't have any kind of therapy and I just kind of went on about my life. And I did feel better actually for years and years. And then I did kind of on and off throughout my late teens, early twenties, take some antidepressants and different things. And I realized I had ADD when I got in college. Mm. And I think that was a huge contributing factor to my depression because I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't I focus? I know I'm smart and I can do really well in places that I want to. And I do really poorly when I don't care. And like I can hyper-focus in dance and gymnastics and like, I know I'm not unintelligent, but I'm not doing well in school. And I have that same experience. Yeah. It's, you're like, you question yourself. You're like, am I dumb? I don't understand. Why can't I read this book? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I could do all these other things. Yeah. Yeah. And and so then I realized that and I kind of got on medication for that. And I hated the way it made me feel. And because mm-hmm. my parents are, and my mother was a drug addict also. Like she was on more prescription based and she would kind of delve into some other kinds of drugs and mm-hmm. she smoked pot. 24 seven. I mean, um, and I was super judgmental about that in her life. Very resistant to drugs. Yeah. Super resistant. Like I did not want to get on beyond drugs of any kind. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to stay away from that stuff. And I hated the way the ADD, I loved that some of it and I hated others. I hated the way it made my stomach feel. Mm -hmm. 
and this is in kind of like going into my early 20s. And did your diet start to change? Were you starting to get a little more in tune with like I, gut health? And When I turned, when I was like 19, it was like end of like 1999, 2000, that time period when fat was labeled the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Fat free everything. Yeah. I was like Miss Snackwells, Miss Lean Cuisine. I was like, I'm so healthy. I'm eating (laughs) all of this, like calorie free. Mm -hmm. And I felt like garbage all the time. I was thin. No one, I was, I've always been like fit and athletic Mm -hmm. and never looked unhealthy. So, and oftentimes that can hide unhealthy, you know, that you're not healthy because you look fine and people just judge you by their physical appearance. And that's not the whole story, right? Yes. Um, so I went through the like fat free craze and I was danced for the, the rockets and the Texans and I was super focused on the way I looked and just making sure I was really fit all the time. And I just carried those. I was like, well, I can't dance forever. So I did like a little stint in New York and LA for dance. And I was like, I am, I'm a good college athlete, but I'm never going to be like number one in the pros. I probably need to have some other backup plan. So I was like, I'm going to ride this dance game out because I love it so much as long as I can. So that's when I was like, tried out for the Rockets and the Texans and did that for a few years and, and still always like pretty healthy, but I was always bloated. I always had a headache. I always had ADD really bad. I would have brain fog like crazy and it would drive me insane. And even in college, I felt like I had to work 10 times harder. And I did incredibly in college. Actually, it was surprising from someone who did so poorly in high school to basically make all A's in college. Wow. And, but I worked really hard for it. Did you suffer still from like any depression or anxiety from just growing up too? I did on and off. The worst was, uh, it's called PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And it's like a severe depression around your cycle. So once a month for like three days, I could destroy my life. Like I would literally want to lay on the floor and think about dying. It was horrible. And then the rest of the month I was totally fine. Mm. So clearly my hormones were out of whack, but I had no idea. And here I am eating, doing crazy amounts of cardio, eating no fat, but instead not knowing I'm eating all this like substitutes for food. Right. And they're taking all the fat out, but they're adding sugar. They're adding all this like artificial flavors and, and things that I'm clearly sensitive to. Now I know Mm -hmm. that I didn't realize were impacting my whole life. It's not just your weight. I mean, it's your, your cognitive function, your memory, your ability to be present in the moment, your depression, your hormones. And I was, now I know looking back, I'm like, Oh, poor little Liz, you were so inflamed. Like (laughs) everything was inflamed. Everything was just a disaster. My gut was destroyed because, because I had these issues. I had chronic UTIs. I wasn't even doing anything fun to get these UTIs. They were just coming all the time. I'm like, I don't have any fun fun stories about these UTIs. Chronic health problems suck. And so I was just having that. And then I'm like antibiotics and then the diflucan to get rid of the yeast that comes from, you know, killing the gut flora. And so it's just this cycle of tearing my gut apart. And I mean, it was debilitating. One time I went to the hospital because I thought my spleen or I don't know, whatever, something removed because it was, I was in so much pain and they were prepping me for surgery and they're like, no, you just have really bad gas. (laughs) (laughs) And so they got the x-ray and they're like, see all this green, this is gas. And I'm like, my God, so messed up. Oh man. Um, And then I, you know, part of what I skipped over in my childhood is because I was a gymnast and I had this crazy coach and I had a little bit of an eating disorder, but it wasn't based on 
it's interesting. It wasn't based on me hating my body. Mm-hmm. It was based on me wanting to be an elite gymnast. Mm-hmm. It was like, I need to be light. This is what gymnasts do. We don't eat. And then your small intestine collapse. <laughs> so I had to have a, you know, major surgery in ninth grade. And, but I was able to overcome that because I think it wasn't based on my self-perception. It was more based on me really thinking I needed to be so thin to be good at gymnastics or, or dance or whatever. So Anyway, glossed over that, but, um, so that, that happens from not eating enough, just really small intestine. I was like eating corners off crackers and drinking like half a cup of milk to get through. And then we would take these mini thins. You could buy them at this gas station Mm -hmm. countertop when you, when I was a teenager and all the girls on my team were taking them and the coach would tell us to do this. And it's crazy like telling 13 year old girls not to eat. Well, you just think you would know better. Of course you need food <laughs> to power your body. Yeah, and so you're trained so and then and you're getting injured because you're you know, you're not getting amino acids to repair all the damage you're doing from all the jumping and pounding and so it's devastating and, and you're not eating and I clearly needed nutrients at that time. And anyway, so when I got older I just was in shambles, but I looked good. Like I looked healthy and I looked thin and, Mm -hmm. you know, never questioned it and thought this is just how people live. Like this is life. Everybody feels like this and people do. And I never drank a ton, but, you know, was drinking and going out to eat a lot. And um, when I lived in Houston, it's a really fun place to be single and in your 20s. And I worked for an investment bank and made a lot of money and Mm -hmm. just had this super fun life. But I felt like crap all the time, Mm. kind of through my husband but we did not even, we weren't even friends at this time. He mentioned, we were talking about health in our office. And I had this point started to realize you have to eat to be healthy. You need fat. And I started to realize like, okay, I'm doing, I need to do something different with my diet. Like I'm eating for being thin, but I'm not eating for health. Hmm. And I started to kind of just learn more about that in our office. And I was kind of proponent that in our office, like, okay, we're going to have these run clubs and we're going to eat healthy food. And, but in that environment, you're just people working all the time. You're eating like crazy. You're at meetings, eating gross food all the time. And so it's really difficult. So I was like, I'll just eat half, you know? So then it was like portion control. Anyway, my husband mentioned totally random in a conversation with a group of people that maybe I should not eat gluten. And I was like, what the hell is gluten? And you guys worked in the same office. Mm -hmm. But we were not, we didn't even like each other. How old are you at this point? I was 27 at this point. And, you know, just getting by, like I would be so tired after I ate that I would like sneak off to my car and take like a 15 minute nap because I couldn't hold my head open. I couldn't hold my eyes open. And I was like so young to be so tired. (laughs) It just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. And were you still working out and training at this time? I was still, I've, I never stopped working out. I would like get up 5am to go do these boot camp classes just to get it in. But it was when you work out too hard and your adrenal glands are totally depleted, that's not great for you. So I was really yeah. making the problem worse at that time. Totally. Overstressing. To be doing, yes. I was working out with, it was like a Houston SWAT team workout. So it was a pretty cool workout. Just like real high intensity though. Super high intensity, yeah. just like sprinting and hills. And we would do like 300 pushups during the whole, I mean, it was just crazy. We'd yeah. carry each other on backs and run up and down hills and yeah. do pull-ups and wall It's like a fun workout to do once so a week. fun, yeah. And I was doing it three <laughs> times a week at 5 a.m. and wow. sacrifice my sleep and yeah. depleting my whole body um, because it just 
at this point, my gut is so devastated by mm-hmm. all this life of mm-hmm. back and forth and antibiotics and stuff like that. And I'm just destroying my body. Yeah. And um, I really started to feel it. And he mentioned gluten and I kind of Googled it. And then I went to this chiropractor who also mentioned it to me. He's like, you need to do a food cleanse. There's something wrong with your gut. And I'm like, what is this gut thing everyone keeps talking about? Why are we talking about gluten? This is a new thing. And I did it and it changed my life. Wow. I mean, it. I felt so much better a month later. I, I just didn't know you could feel good. I, I just really thought you. I would never feel good because I was constantly on um, – a leave for everything. I just, I had a constant headaches. I would have migraines. Um, I was a gas X all the time, like Tums. I was just constantly taking stuff to control symptoms of all these deep problems I was having. And, uh, and then I was like, surely that wasn't it. So I ate gluten again about a month later and it, I felt like trash. And then I cried because I was like, I love food. I love to cook. I love baking. I'm love gluten. Oh my God. How could I not eat this? This is the worst thing I've ever heard. I'd rather be sick. That's what I thought. Wow. And then I did it again and I was like, no, I don't think I would rather be sick. And then I started to give it up and found some kind of different ways around it. And there was some frustration and the people I'd hung out with who were used to me sort of being the, I was the foodie. Like I knew all the restaurants. I, everyone would go out to dinner and they're like, Liz will just order everything. She knows how to order food. I've always been sort of in that world and loved it. And anyway, it was like, it was a little bit of my identity. Right. And I felt like I lost a little bit of that. Um, and then slowly more things I was like, okay, well that made me feel this good. What if I give up the dairy and, and just slowly started to see this kind of plan out of my life in a really, really impactful awesome way. That's awesome. How is your nutrition? What, what is from there to where it is now? How is it different? At that point, I had just given up a few things and I uh, was still probably eating a fair amount of sugar without even realizing it. And sugar is a really tough one still. Like I go back and forth on that. I try not to eat it, but it's so good. (laughs) So good. Um, It seems like it's less uh, detrimental than you know, gluten for you. So for sure. Um, but it definitely like contributes to inflammation and Mm -hmm. some other things. And I notice it in my cognitive function when I have it in my, just the cravings in general, like I want more of it. I want more bad food when I have sugar. Um, but I, I don't know. I just eat super clean. I I think it comes in phases and women are really hard on themselves. Like, okay, I just got to give it all up overnight. And it's just not reasonable. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was like the one thing for me and you need to see it. You need to feel it because if you don't buy into it personally, you're not going to continue. So yeah. you have to buy into like, I really want this for myself. I really deserve this for myself. I deserve to have a life free of these symptoms yes. and, and want that badly enough to give it up because it's hard at first. It's so easy. I don't even, gluten doesn't even look appetizing to me. I could look at a cake and smell that delicious. I own a bakery. <laughs> it's like <laughs> so glutinous, oh, wow. but it does nothing for me. I have to taste it because I need to do quality control and stuff, but it doesn't do it for me. Like I just, I don't have any desire for bad food anymore. Like I don't look at things that I used to be tempted by and it just, it looks like trash to me. It doesn't taste good. doesn't smell good. Yeah. does nothing. Sounds like you created a mental shift where you value feeling mm-hmm. better than the, the immediate pleasure in something. Yeah. And I think a lot of people could take, you know, note from that. It's like, whether it's alcohol or coffee or <laughs> <laughs> sugar or whatever, it's like, 
if I could just feel good longer, I think you can get to a point where you'll value just feeling better. For Sounds sure. like that's what you did. Yeah. And yeah, there's this like, I don't know if I had to name it, but like phases of this like discovery phase, like, okay, I discovered this thing makes me feel bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you've got to like, now you need a plan of attack. Like, okay, I'm going to give this up and I'm going to wait and I'm going to be patient and I'm going to see how I feel. Cause you're going to have a bad day again. And then it's going to feel better. I mean, think about all the years we spend putting garbage in our bodies. I ate like trash in high school. Even my mom cooked every meal at home and I just totally rejected that food and ate fast food with my friends. Mm-hmm. You know, my, I see some of my, my two teenage daughters and I see them kind of doing that. I know they'll come back to the healthy eating one day, but you know, you don't feel it because your body's just like young and resilient and our bodies are so adaptable. We can adapt to anything. It's pretty incredible. Mm. So that when you're coming off of it is a process too. So we've taken this time to adapt to it and you need to take time to kind of disassociate from it, right? Like come back from it. And and so there's that like sacrificial phase, like Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to miss out on these things. And and I'm going to move forward with that and I'm going to be okay. And I would say like, for me, the difference is from that discovery phase to now I'm sort of in like an optimization phase. Like everything I do now is optimizing. I, d- I really don't eat as like sometimes women are talking about what they eat and I'm like, mm, I don't really eat anything bad. <laughs> Except I'm, I love It was like when we That's asked my... everybody at the workout, like, what are your nutrition goals for the week? And you're like, like um, um this Yeti chips, (laughs) but that really is my worst thing because, and I did, I would say, uh, testing is really important. Like making sure you do lab testing and what do you recommend and how do you recommend doing that? Um, you guys offer it a lot more. Yeah, we do. So speaking of alive and well, you know, that's my favorite business. My husband and I have several businesses, a couple of cafes and a bakery and a meal prep company and alive and well is the the big baby, the favorite baby. That's just the beginning seed of many more, right? Yeah. So we're building another one right now. So anyway, Alive and Well is, it's an integrative wellness center, right? And we have, as a part of that, we have a functional medicine clinic where we have practitioners. And then we also have a compounding pharmacy. And then we have a holistic wellness center that offers holistic therapies ranging from sort of geeky biohacking stuff all the way to sort of like Zen, more spa-like therapies and services. So we want to take care of the whole person, Mm -hmm. right? The goal is to take people like I was, right? And empower them to take control of their own wellness because our healthcare system is so broken. I think I read last year that Big Pharma made like 1.2 something trillion dollars. Not a dollar of that was spent on making people well or teaching them how to take care of themselves. It's all on symptoms and all the while like telling people just stop eating this one little thing this year. Our entire economy is going to go broke in the next 30 years treating diabetes, the preventable type of diabetes, right? That just comes from eating bad and being overweight and having chronic inflammation and you know, so that's, you know, part of the having it all the purpose, right? Like my work that I do every day, you know, some of that is restaurants. And I love watching people eat in our restaurants. I love watching people when I love going to our restaurant and no one of course knows I own it. And I watch people eat there and it is the coolest feeling. You're like, they're eating food that my husband and I helped like come up with the menu. They're sharing coffee. They're laughing. It's just really cool. I love hospitality. Like I just love to take care of people. And 
you know, as we've, that business is older and now I look back at that and I'm like, well, maybe they shouldn't be eating that, but <laughs> having a good time. <laughs> for sure. So I'm kind of, we're kind of in this, for me anyway, this stage of like, I really want to show up in the world in this way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if giving people, people need to celebrate and have cake and enjoy life totally. from time to time. I do not. Food brings people together. Yes. And community is a big aspect, right? Huge. Like you can't yeah. take that away from it. And so I love that aspect of what we do. But to me, like the, in the future, the energy is going to go towards, you know, this is the lofty goal, but 50 alive and wells in 10 years. And, you know, so maybe we hit 25 or 30, but we've got one and then we're opening another one in Dallas. And I want to jump into school. like what you're going to do with that one. But first with the the health and the food piece. I know you mm-hmm. also don't, not a big drinker as well. Yeah. <laughs> I feel strongly about that. Yeah. Um, Tell me too. Cause I always try to <clears throat> get my clients to get as much booze out of their diet as possible yeah. to the point where they don't really drink at all. Especially if you're really trying to get your body to change or at least a stint of time. Yeah. Uh, alcohol, I think in our society is so prevalent, heavy use of it, but it seems as if it's, it's, it's told to us in a way that it's a normal amount of use, but yeah. we, but it can throw hormones and gut health and just even two, three, oh four God. drinks a week. And if you're really trying to get your health to another level, I think taking it out for a while, you know, at least a while. Yeah. At least a while. I get it. Like I, I try to think about why do people drink? Why do you drink? Okay. You want to relax and unwind and you want to shut your brain off for a minute. I will argue that there are other ways to do that, mm-hmm. but um, it makes you a little more social. You want to be more social. So it does give you a little bit more yes. ability to be social. 100%. Yeah. It, it kind of breaks down that, you know, insecurity even or the, you know, inhibitions, right? And you take it too far <laughs> the other direction real quick. But yeah. but it causes a lot of inflammation. I, I will tell anyone who, t- a woman who tells me she wants to lose weight, she's like, but I'm not going to give up my wine. I'm like, you are not serious about losing weight. You cannot Amen. lose a lot of weight as a woman. With when you're drinking, you just can't. It and not only is it's calories that are empty; it's got all these other things that cause water retention and bloating. And but it makes your inhibitions around food go away. And when do we drink? When we're eating with people, and mm-hmm. you're just like shoveling food in your mouth at happy hour. Eat and, this and, thing and that yeah, thing, yeah. And it you know turns on those taste buds. Like you want the salt, you want the sweet, and you want the fried. Like all this, you're just not serious about it to me. If you're not ready to give it up, at least for some period of time. It ages you poorly just from a totally shallow perspective. I'm like, I like to have nice skin and glowy eyes. Like, I just can't be drinking. It makes you look like trash. Totally. (laughs) If you do it a lot. I mean, you can tell when people drink a lot, right? And especially on men, you just really can see it. Like, there's just like a redness. There's like a puffiness. I just know when I meet men, I'm like, gosh, I just know he has two whiskeys every night. (laughs) It's the same. Kind of know it. It's the same with people who smoke a lot. Yeah, you can you can just see it in their skin and their face. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I would argue that there are other ways. I've done breath work to the point where it's a psychedelic effect Mm -hmm. that breaks down your inhibitions and allows you. You know, one of the reasons you drink is is either to be a little bit more like yourself or a little bit less like yourself. Kind of depends on what you're starting with, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like okay, I want to be a little bit more of this person I just kind of wish I was all the time, mm-hmm. a little more energetic, a little more outgoing, or like I really don't like this about myself and alcohol helps me mask it or something. So yeah, so breath work is Breath one. work is really good. I, I did this, <laughs> I don't go the whole story, but basically we went to this longevity conference and one of the booths there in... They had this company from Brooklyn and we did this breath work. I, I think I can't remember the name of the breathing because I'm not super experienced, but I told you it's holotropic. That like, yeah, the holotropic breath. And 
to the point where you're like, I can't do this anymore. And all of a sudden I was like, wow. And I told you, I literally, my whole life flashed before my eyes in this psychedelic dream, just breath work. I mean, I'm literally walking around a conference with a badge around my neck, walk into this booth, have this psychedelic experience. And there was like a drum circle happening. There's music. We had these headphones on. It was so intense. So it was like a dome? What was it? Was it was a dome. And, and you're going to put this- We're going to recreate one in, in Dallas. In Dallas, because wow. It's life-changing to do this kind of breath work. It's like taking psychedelic drugs without taking the psychedelic drugs. There's multiple ways to access this point of like releasing control of your ego. Yeah. And there's multiple ways. And that is one way for sure. And it is, and the ego is like what inhibits us in a lot of times from like feeling like we don't want to be a hundred percent ourselves or like, or we need to uncover a little piece with the alcohol to step into like this more outgoing self. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that, you know, there's that there's, you can microdose many things and Mm -hmm. do you microdose at all? Um, the, I take the, it's called, wait, hold on. I I mix them. I call it a free bird, but it's a combination of the feel free, the tonic, which is Kratom and Kava. And I'll mix that with a thing called an early bird, which is 2.5 CBD and 2.5 THC. Mm -hmm. And, I also don't think lots of THC is good for you either. I've never been like a pot smoker or really into that drug. And just in the last year, probably I started taking that. I, someone gave it to me for a headache and I was like, oh, I felt like I had a glass of wine. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is kind of nice. But mm-hmm. a lot of THC will definitely put the wrinkles on your face. And, and it also can mess with other stuff too, right? For the sure. same things alcohol does in a lot of ways. So I would say be careful with that as well. When you need that, like I've got to shut the brain off. I mean, I have a lot of stuff going on in my head. I have four kids. We have five businesses. Yeah. I have a ne- <laughs> He's not needy in a bad way, but I have a husband that is really busy. So not only do I have to juggle the kids and my own work, but all the stuff that he can't step in to do um, for our family and building a home, like ha- having a home is part of my having it all. Like I love to be in my home that, and I created that home for my family. And cause I didn't grow up with one. I said, I'm going to have that in my life and um, was able to do that. And I have a home that my kids love to come home to. My husband loves to come home to. And it, it's just that's it's awesome. the place to be, you know, um, I'd rather be there than anywhere else. And Let's, anyway, let's got a little talk, off track on that. No, that's good. Let's talk about that family piece. Like in your way, how do you feel like you create uh, like a a strong partnership, like mm-hmm. a strong marriage? And how do you create a strong family unit? Yeah. Like uh, some of the values instill in your daughters. You have four daughters, right? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, how do you create connection and what are your kind of like agreements with your actual partner? <laughs> yeah. I think that's important way to look at it, actually. Like we have to agree before we step into something. I don't, I don't know if we do it as intentionally as we should, Mm -hmm. but we both are kind of big dreamers and we both feel, especially about the alive and well stuff, like God, the world needs this. The world needs an alternative to this sort of sick care system. We have people need to understand, like they can take over their own healthcare and it's like, okay, we're going to buy this food prep company. We're going to buy, and we're going to build another alive and well, like all this has to be an agreement between us. This is like, okay, we've decided to do this together. We have um, a similar vision and dream. It sounds yeah, like. And it's and funny. agree on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to think that my husband and I both worked in oil and gas at an investment bank and lived, you know, these very different lives and to still be so on the same page in another city, you know, 10 years later or whatever it is. And 
still be doing something wildly different and still be on the same page and in going the same direction is pretty remarkable to me and like even and stronger for it. Right. Meant to be, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. When did you guys decide uh, you, you started to find him attractive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we were, when we worked together, he was um, married to somebody else and I was dating someone that worked in our office mm-hmm. and um, we just, there was a little bit of office gossip about, unfortunately, about his marriage. I try not, I don't really like gossip that much. I think I, I get it. It's fun to engage in, but I kind of, I just don't think it's good for anybody. So I for try sure. not to get too much into it, but you can't help but overhear it. And yeah, when you're in it. Yeah. In that world, that oil and gas kind of world in Houston is real, a little incestuous. So you're kind of here, you know, everybody's story. And so people actually kind of were like, oh, Michael, is this bad marriage, but he never let on. Like I would have never thought that just from him. He used to like invite some of the women in the office and into his office and say like, Hey, can you help me pick out something for my wife? Like I would have never thought there was an issue. And, but I knew that I didn't like working with him. (laughs) (laughs) He is not a role follower and I'm a little bit of a role follower. And one of my jobs was to work with the CFO to create, we had no policies because it was a startup investment bank. Mm -hmm. And so I was working with her to create these like different policies around things. And so I was like, People call me the narc because I'm like running around, like following all the rules and making new the rules. Goody, goody like, yes, so goody goody. <laughs> yeah. And he would did thought like that about me. And I didn't like that he wouldn't answer any of my questions. And so I was like, ugh, Michael's well. God, this guy's guy. annoying. So annoying. <laughs> um, and then I because it was a small company, we all had these different projects. Everybody wore like five hats. And so mm-hmm. he would help with some of the recruiting efforts. And then I got staffed on some of that stuff too to like help coordinate some events around that. And I was like, oh, I don't like him, but he's smart. I was like, I like, he's pretty smart, <laughs> you know? Like, mm-hmm. And I I do actually find intelligence super attractive in men. Mm-hmm. But he was married and I was in a relationship. And I was like, well, I don't like him, but, you know, I respect him. This is where, where, where we were. Mm-hmm. Then he also kind of started showing up at these happy hours with all the young younger people. And he's only a few years older than me, but he was higher in position because I took a long time to finish college, mm-hmm. given all my all my stuff. And I had some travels that I, um, went and lived in some other places. And anyway, so I was a little bit older, but I was still younger in like rank kind of. So he was definitely still like the boss kind of level, even though we're not too far apart, but he started showing up when, and all the people that were like his level or married would leave. And we're like, why is Michael still here? (laughs) And one of the really straightforward girls with worked with us, she kind of asked him one day and, and he's very private. If you, Michael didn't, is very stoic, very private, sometimes to a fault, I think, but mostly a strength. But anyway, he just kind of said, I don't want to go home. And we were like, wait, what? (laughs) This is not happening. And we just, he was very, he didn't say, wasn't really mean about it. He wasn't, it didn't come across as like, I'm griping about my marriage. It was just a very like, matter of fact, yeah, super matter of fact, not not bad. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And then I'm like one to counsel everybody. I'm like, Oh, tell me more. Um, and then I got on the phone. This is like the short version of the story, but I got on the phone to my friend and I'm like this, my best friend. And I was like, this poor guy, he's just like really struggling and they have kids and you know, da, 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 da. and she was like, do not ever speak to him again. This is bad. Like married, you know, and then he, I never talked to him again for about it for a long time. And, mm-hmm. and I left that company and I went somewhere else and we sort of ran into each other randomly somewhere and it, we sort of kindled this friendship that I think was based in, there was maybe an attraction, but I was very apprehensive. I was like, I am not going to be with somebody I'm young, unmarried, 
I don't need to be with somebody who's been married, who has kids. That's crazy. Like, I thought that was insane. <laughs> like, I just was not interested in that yeah. in any way. But there was a spark and I could feel it and I just couldn't like walk away from it. It was, yeah. yeah, I tried not to. I was at that point had been single for a while and was enjoying that life. I really liked being single and um, met super interesting people, had a great time with my girlfriends. I was so pleased in my life and he was brilliant disrupting everything. <laughs> so I get at that point he had been separated, but not totally divorced. And that to me in my mind, I'm like, this is not doable. This is not something. And so we kind of would go to coffee and go to lunch. Eventually I was going to a therapist kind of talking through some of this at the time. And I was like, I think I just, she's basically the short version of is like, okay, if you can't see yourself with somebody who's married and you can't get over that, you know, as like finding a new dream, mm-hmm and be okay with that, then you just need to walk away or create a new dream that involves someone else's kids and maybe someone who's been married and thought about that for a long time and was like, well, maybe it's doable. And and then I actually was like, no, it's not. <laughs> I just went back and forth, back and forth like that. Yeah. It's a big thing. And I went to have lunch. Well, I went, I, he invited me to lunch around Christmas time. And I said, I just, I don't think we should go. I don't want, like, I didn't want him to spend any more money or time trying to court me or whatever he was doing at the time. And I was like, this isn't going to work. And then he talked me into going because he's super persuasive and gave me a lovely gift. And and then we just kind of, he was in Austin and I had been accepted to graduate school at, Austin, at UT and I ended up moving to Austin a few months later. And that's when we became more serious. And it sounds like you made the right choice. What was the thing inside of you that guided you to say yes? I had grown up very, I don't know if religious is the right word, but very like Christian and and totally valued that. But as I got in my twenties, I became very like skeptical. I'm like, I did this for myself. Like I created this life. I escaped this like kind of impoverished, like, you know, there's multiple kinds of poverty, right? Like I definitely had a little bit of economic financial poverty growing up for Mm -hmm. sure. But there's also like, you know, poverty of community and poverty of the will, like different things. And so I grew up with maybe multiple kinds of poverty and I was like, I got out of that. I went to college. I paid for college. I made great grades. I got this job for myself. And it's very self-centered. And then at at some point it kind of felt wrong. And I'm like, I really miss, there's something missing. As happy as I was in my life, I was like, there's something missing. Mm. And I was driving from Houston to Fort Worth. And there's like a point where there's no stations. And it was like, you scan and it's like two stations. And they're all like fire brimstone pastors. Like you're going to hell if da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, this is why I hate church. <laughs> you know, and this is all I can hear. And I was like, I just want voice. I just want noise. This is like pre-iPhone. Like you're not playing music in your car. Yeah, you got radio. Yeah, the radio. And, I, and then he starts, this pastor starts preaching And he's like, if you are divorced, you're going to hell. I mean, that was the message. And I pulled over and started crying, like sobbing. It's like, what is going on? Why, why am I having this reaction to this? And he's like, God would not bless your marriage if you were to marry someone else. And I was like, this is not, no, this is not right. And then it made me, I guess it, it made me realize that deep down somewhere that I felt like I, the person that Michael was the person I something inside me knew he was my person. And the thought that God, who was not in my life at this time, was was not going to bless that in some way was devastating to me. And I was like, oh my God, I need Jesus. (laughs) Like That was really what I thought. And so I just started going to church again and reading the Bible and which is what I think people need to do. Like people go to church. I'm like, you need to read the Bible. It has 
wisdom about everything from sibling rivalry to world wars. I mean, it's it's got everything in there and it's got people way smarter than you who've done way worse and way dumber than you who've done way better. I mean, just got everything in there. And I just really dove into that and realized, you know, and and I wanted to know about marriage specifically. I'm like, what does the Bible say about divorce? Like I need to know because I'm not going, I don't want to go to hell. (laughs) I don't want these things, but it was like rekindled this, like, where did this desire come from? Like, why do I care about hell? I didn't believe in it three months ago. You know, like Mm. I totally stepped away from that part of my life. And I was like, what, why do I believe in hell all of a sudden? Why do I believe that? Like I need God's blessing. And I don't know, it just was in there. And I started researching just those questions to begin. And, um, and Michael, um, is Christian as well. And so we, I don't know, we just started going to church together and I don't know, just kind of knew that he was my person. And I think it was based on first, our relationship is grounded in that. Like we have the same faith, you know, for us, that is like more than Christianity. Like there's definitely like Christianity. I don't agree with, I don't think it's biblical that exists and is very popular and people do that. But for us, it was more like specifically like following the teaching of Jesus. Right. And that, what that looks like, and that's for us, the common factor. And I think people need to be equally yoked in that way. Like you need to find someone who's spiritual in the same way. I hope it's Jesus, but I know that's not yeah. the way for everybody. So that's kind of like one key thing. And I think in that's so key because yeah. if it, I, I always say this is unpopular opinion is there's like, there's this culture of self-love in the world. And I have four daughters and they're getting this messaging from the world that like, you just need to love yourself. And how can anyone love you? If you don't love yourself, how can you love anyone if you don't love yourself? And like, if in the Bible, like we are the problem, like the answer is you are broken. Everyone's broken. We're all like, whether you want to call it sin or just self, whatever it is, like we are broken inside, even at our best, like we still do really bad stuff. Like all mine is like in my mind, like the things I think, I don't think I act, maybe I do sometimes, but all my like sin or we're imperfect, right. Is in my head. There's no question that we're all imperfect and we all do stuff that like, we don't want anyone to see. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but I think both of us knowing that and knowing like we're broken and it's vulnerable and we're going to break each other's hearts. But as long as we keep that faith in the center, that that's bigger than both of us. And when you're the biggest thing in your life, it's disappointing because we're all broken and we all do things that are less than desirable. Like, Mm -hmm. and if you're the center of that, it's just not going to work, right? It's not, Mm -hmm. it's a broken process (laughs) to be at the, be the one thing first and foremost in your life because you're just going to disappoint yourself over and over. And so for us having that foundation and knowing when we fall apart or fall short, we, we forgive each other. Like God teaches you to forgives us, you know, like there's humility, there's ask for forgiveness, there's redemption. Like, you know, we make mistakes and we do bad things and we both find ways to redeem that situation. Like Mm -hmm. if I mess up, Michael's like, how can we turn this into something good and vice versa? And it's like um, empathy and understanding and yeah. yeah. And forgiveness and just, and being committed to those. And that's because our values come from the Bible. So I think like having that bigger thing, and that's why I kind of, in my notes, when we kind of talked about this topic is I think when you have that higher power, it needs to be something much bigger than yourself. 
it can't be another person. Like we're created to worship and there's a little hole in our heart that desires to be filled by something. And this, in our case, we chose this to be like Jesus and God. And mm-hmm. Other people choose money. Other people choose alcohol. Other people choose famous celebrities. Like we worship something. Everyone worship something Mm -hmm. and we all do what we do for something or someone. And so I think whatever that is needs to be bigger than you. It needs to be unchanging. Otherwise you're, you're constantly shooting at moving goalposts like, and it needs to have some sort of moral compass to it. Like, how do we know it's right or wrong? And you have to agree with that with your partner. Like what is right and wrong? It's not, it's objective. It needs to be wait. Yeah. It needs to be objective truth that you've both agreed upon because if not, you need to know what you're falling short of. You need to know what you're aiming for. Like, okay, this is what we decided is truth for us. Mm -hmm. And when we fall short of that, we know the target we're trying to move toward. And you can hold me to that truth that's unchanging, right? And you you see it in society. It's like one day you can say this, the next day you can't. And then this is true. And then that's true. And this is biology. And this is science. And this is not like, it's so changing. You can't keep up with it. And that's the one thing about like, the, you know, my faith is unchanging and, and we both agree that that's the measure that we want to go by in our lives. So to me, like having that with somebody, because otherwise you're just like self-serving and that's not going to work in a relationship long-term. So you're just serving yourself. That's not going to happen. What are some other key things you guys do to keep your marriage strong or Um, people can do to keep their marriage strong? Um, I think, one thing I'm bad at (laughs) is creating narratives in my own head. Like I think I know what he's going to say before I even ask him the question. And so sometimes I don't even ask the question and that is something I work on all the time. Um, And then I realize where that comes from is like childhood issues of being rejected or whatever. Like I want to be vulnerable. It's hard for me to be vulnerable in front of him at times about certain topics, especially work stuff because Okay. We do that together and I want him to think of me as super competent. And um, anyway, so I will work really hard not to create narratives in your head. Like just ask, just ask the question. Um, And I think a lot of women don't and they just, they create a story in their mind and then they get mad at their husband for something that never even happened. Like it really could have just been stopped with a question. So if you have a question, just ask it. If you don't make up the story in your head, don't think you know what your husband's going to say or your partner, like, don't think you have the answer because you let people surprise you mm. like always. And, um, I think being, you're keeping your physical relationship alive is super important. Men are, we're all, we all want physical bonding and men are more sexual than women probably. And in one way, um, at least, and more like just they need that physical touch in that specific way. I heard like, a quote sometimes. Like men feel in love when they're physical. Yeah. And or like they they feel loved when they're physical and men and women can feel more love when they feel, I don't know, desired, not mm-hmm. actually the physical piece. Yeah. Some random thing I heard. Yeah. And I mean it's a little bit different for everybody, totally. right? Like um I know some women who are just like crazy all the time. When it, but a part of that is exercising, like keeping yourself healthy and fit because if you're not healthy, you cannot be a healthy partner. Like if you're drinking all the time and you're eating poorly and you're constantly inflamed inside, you're not going to be fun to be around. And guess who you're going to take it out on your partner. You're not going to take it out on your friends. You're not going to take it out on your coworkers, but that part of your life's going to suffer because you're going to be less productive. You're going to be less present 
but you're going to take that, come home. You're going to bring that to your husband. That's part of the values is we, yeah. we both stay fit and healthy and we value health. Yes. Sometimes people are going to fall short because illness or surgeries or whatever, but mm-hmm. you're still like, I'm going to maintain yeah. my health and well-being and you for can, you and me. hundred percent. And you can help them stay hold, stay true to that. Like, Hey, you're eating, a, you're eating a bag of Siete chips again. I thought you didn't <laughs> want to do that. Um, I'm like, why did you buy me the dang churros? Cause now I'm eating the whole bag. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, having those goals together and you need to look sexy to feel sexy and to be with your partner. So 100%. I think that helps. I know women a hundred percent. If you don't feel cute, you don't want to do anything. So, um, you need to do that for yourself and for, for your husband. I think it's an obligation to take care of yourself and, you know, in sickness and health. Yes, That's but good. let's try our best to exactly. keep it in health. Right. Well, I want to talk about how you stay fit and healthy mm-hmm. and also had some questions about, you know, how you stayed fit and healthy before, during, and after pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Like what was your, uh, path of training? Yeah, I have tried it all. I've tried just the yoga, every different kind for months and months. And I've tried, I've done half marathons and tried all the running and nothing to me works like weight training. It is supportive of everything in your life. It's supportive of longevity. It helps increase your, not just your lifespan, which is the years, but the health span, the years you're getting out of your life. Right. Yeah. The quality, the quality. And, um, your pelvic floor. It helps all that kind of recover. So before I I lifted weights through, I have had two pregnancies. I have four daughters, two of my stepdaughters through my pregnancies. Um, I lifted weights the whole time uh, to date, to the very end, to the very moment, to the very moment. And you know, your exercises change. And you start to get limited, right? Yeah. I remember going to spin and I'm like, okay, I just keep kneeing myself in the baby, like my legs. <laughs> I'm like, this is not for me anymore. So, for sure. um, and I don't think you're supposed to even get your heart rate that high, but um, so I stopped going to spin and I just did weights and, you know, I wasn't jumping on and off benches or anything, but squats, lunges. I mean, all those, those classic movements are classic for a reason. I 100%. mean, they, and, it, and sometimes they're monotonous and boring. You know, there's ways you can vary them, but that's why I think having a personal trainer is a super valuable, um, thing to spend your money, super you know. It's like spending your money on blood work or IV therapy. Mm-hmm. It, it's an investment long term. It is. And, it, you know, it's like Mark Hyman always says you can give your money to the farm or you can give it to the pharmacy. Like you're going to. So mm-hmm. similarly, like you can give it to your trainer or you can give it to a doctor one day when or you can sit in a nursing home for an extra five years at the end of your life. Like, And what you invest in now compounds. It's just like investing in stocks and real estate. Mm-hmm. It compounds over time because when sure. you go to try to spend that money later, it's not going to do very much. You mm-hmm. might get one or two years, but you're going to be ill versus yeah. the amount of quality and the ability to experience life being healthy is invaluable. Yeah. Being healthy and present and strong. Like I can lift my kids and throw them and I can jump on the floor with them. And I'm going to do that with my grandkids too. And the only way I'm going to do that is if I keep lifting weights and I keep stretching and I eat well and that's it. There's nothing you can do. And, um, actually I was listening or watching on Instagram, um, this trainer, she's a strength and conditioning coach at UT. And she said, um, the size of your body is, comes from what you eat. And, you know, so if you want to be slim, you need to eat to be slim, yeah. but the shape of your body comes from weights. So if that, if we're talking about, you know, where you're going to have your strength, then, 
and just the way it looks. Because you also want it to look good. You want it to feel good. But you just be honest, everybody wants yeah. it to look good too. So. Well, I always say the most feminine thing you can do to have the most feminine physique is actually lift weights. Yes. And it's the one thing that women stray away from. Mm-hmm. But it's like the one, it's like if you just did that one I thing, know. all your answers would be, and then you have to also give it time. Yes. Right. It's like you can't just strength train and then still eat like shit or drink yeah. wine. And also, if you just start lifting, it takes time like you to figure it out your gut time. and your nutrition yeah. and to like learn how to train. And it takes time. And you can't give up when it's hard. I mean, it's like I see that happen all the time. They're like, oh, I was having these great results. And and then this thing happened or I went on vacation and I blew it. And I'm like, just start over. <laughs> it's just not that big of a deal. Yeah. It's- Weight should be in your life till the day you die. Yes, I for sure. And you will lift them till the day you die if you start. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not too late. There's nothing anytime. more important than when you're 70, 80, 90 years old to still be picking weights up off the ground and squatting things because that is a function of being a human being. For sure. Right. And life, yeah. as you get older, is going to get more mean. It's trying to take you down. I know. So you got to lift weights to stay strong <laughs> yeah, against for it. For sure. Like you're armoring yourself against life, yeah. especially as you get it old. Increase resiliency, right? It's, I think, anti fragile, hermetic stress, right? Like yeah. you're creating stress inside your body. And and that increases the resiliency of your body, right? It's just like doing cold plunge, doing sauna, all those things and lifting weights. Those are all to me in the same category of weights is like longevity. It's hormonal support. Um, yeah. So during pregnancy, I just lifted weights all the way through. And as soon as I could. And when was that? Safely when, after. Yeah. When was after? How soon um, after could you lift? I started doing pelvic floor exercises. Like I just got this app. There's several. I mean, there's a million of them. You yeah. can go. What's your favorite? remember what it's That's called okay. right now. Do you guys have pelvic floor or a person we, you recommend? We do not you have don't. somebody um, right now, but I okay. think we, one thing I think it would be great for us to focus on is a little bit more of women's health. Yeah, would be nice. Um, in that part of life, kind of that postpartum um, area, timeline in women's lives. But um, I th- even just sitting there and like squeezing your pelvic floor and learning how to do that, you can go on YouTube and find pelvic floor videos like go find a good one with great reviews and lots of views can you practice that while you're pregnant or is it yeah yeah you you should you should you should do squats while you're pregnant um 100 be doing squats and shoulder presses and just those big compound movements that recruit multiple muscle groups like those are going to be your best friend during pregnancy it's going to make your birth easier it's going to make your recovery easier um I, try, I had two bad births. I tried to have home births, ended up at the hospital both times, I really? had a C-section the second time. Yeah. <laughs> Things did not go to my plan, but yeah. I recovered pretty well. I was um, I probably started lifting weights after the first pregnancy faster because I had a vaginal birth. And the second one, I had a C-section. It was a little bit tougher. After the vaginal birth? Which, how quickly after? I mean, I was on walks within days. Like Awesome. I could have gone sooner. I would go outside and get some sunshine. I think is super important. Like getting sun. Yes. If you're feeling depressed or tired, like you need to be out in the sun in the morning. I, it's so dark when I wake up. It's really annoying. But when it was brighter in the morning, I would just go stand out there, have my coffee, stare at the you know horizon before the sun gets mm-hmm. dangerous to look at, and kind of just recalibrates your whole body. I mean, you can feel it. Yeah, it's incredible. It's pretty incredible how much we need the sun, yeah. right? And that vitamin D, but, um, getting her baby out there is good. I was doing squats with the baby and her little baby sling, just squatting. To me, squat is like your best friend when you're pregnant, like 100%. very, very, your foot position, move it around. I mean, I was doing 
maybe I shouldn't have been doing quite as much weight. But if you go into it healthy and you're already doing it, you should lift weights for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would start a brand new weight program five months into yeah. pregnancy. But and that's why it's important to be training before and yeah. during pregnancy because then you yes. can quickly and go back into it. Especially if you're having a problem getting pregnant, like it supports your hormones. However, if you are, even if your um, adrenals are drained and you're struggling with that kind of functionality in your body where you're like, I am drained and wired and tired and I'm all out of whack in that way. Weight training helps. You want to stop doing all that crazy, like orange theory kind of like that. I know I've done orange theory. I like it. It's fun, but women are doing the wrong kind of workouts in general. Like they're doing crazy amounts of cardio. It doesn't make them look good. Like, I don't know any, a little cardio is good. Like a brisk walk or a brisk walk. Walking is amazing for a walk when you're pregnant, walking and squatting. I would say like, those are things you should do the whole time you're pregnant. Walk, walk, walk. Anybody, everybody should walk. We are, we were born to walk. I mean, that's what we should be doing. Long, long distance running is horrible. There's so many studies about how bad it is for women's hormones. Oh yeah. Um, And that's what I I noticed. I'm, you know, and I share this a lot and that's why it's nice to have conversation with someone who's lived it and Mm -hmm. experienced it, you know, as women, you know, once you start to leave your twenties, reducing that high cortisol producing high intensity cardio, Mm -hmm. you're going to get better results. Yeah. Right. And I understand if you love it, but yeah, try to, I do understand try, that. Try to cycle it, right? Yeah, try and, and lift play. weights in between. Like, don't mm-hmm. abandon that. Or that should be your or, foundation for sure. And then build things on top of it. That's what that's what I would tell. And it, you know, women will be like, "I love yoga; it just does it for me." And I'm like, uh, I, "I do. I think you should do some yoga. I think it's great to stretch and the meditation part." But and, not seven days a week with a, not, a day of lifting. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it needs to be a little bit more balanced for sure. You know, and that, that's based on not just my opinion and my experience. Yeah. And I've, I've tons of women. I've been in the fitness world and very interested in it all my life. Even as a teenager, I was I was in into weights and was lifting as soon as I could. And I was in Muscle and Fitness magazine when I danced for the Rockets. And awesome. so I've always been sort of this fit person. But um, I just I just think weight training is the fountain of youth, you know? That's so funny you said that. That's what I was thinking. I remember in Seattle, I was training somebody in her apartment. She was like late fifties. And I was like, so what do you like? What's your opinion on weight training? She's like, it's the fountain of youth. (laughs) Yeah. It's the thing that will keep you aging the slowest and the most graceful. It just makes you feel good too. Like I can't tell you what it feels like to be a strong female. It makes you feel strong in other ways. It's not just physical strength. It's mental strength. It's, Mm it's resiliency. It's you're in a tough situation. You're like, I got this. And it's, it's a confidence you can't place your finger mm-hmm. on because you don't know where it comes from, but it comes from being strong mm-hmm. and having physical strength. I mean, it's, I don't want to be like a man in any way, mm-hmm. but it is there. Everybody has a little masculinity in them. Right. And you have a myself balance. included. Mm-hmm. And there is a part, you know, whatever we want to call masculinity these days, but I love that part. I love that like strength and like sometimes I move stuff at my house and I'm like, I need my husband. I just move this whole thing all by myself. <laughs> yeah. Like I've moved whole homes by myself. And yeah, um, that's one of my awesome. favorite things about training women is they're not exposed to a lot of weight training mm-hmm. and they're very open to learning from it. And when you watch them get empowered through feeling stronger, you see mental shift happen mm-hmm. too. And it's, it's really exciting to yes. see. I love weight training with other women. I love like those small group classes, not the big group. I do like big group classes. They're fun too. With awesome it's intimate music and you can actually connect. Yeah. And you can talk and you can cheer each other on. And that's, that's like something too is like important to your marriage, right? Like you need friends because mm-hmm. your husband's not going to be any and every 
thing to you, your partner, and to ask them to do that is too much because they're not Jesus, right? Like they don't have all the answers for you either. And it's you too need, much pressure on one yes, person. It totally is. And that's why you need that community of women in your life to be cheering you on, to be just, and hopefully not in a false positive way, like they're being genuine and true. But just to push you in that day that you're like, oh, I can't lift this. And just to be like, yes, you can. I saw you do it the other day. Yeah. I know you and can it's do it. Just true for men too. Men need groups of men to be men. Yes. I would. I, I really am glad you said that because and I think that's becoming more, you know, uh, you know, sought after and spoken about as well. It is. And, and that's why I think like your idea, I think you were telling me alive and well in Dallas, you're going to have a women's locker room with cold plunge mm-hmm. sauna and a men's sauna cold. I think it's so good to keep it separate. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with separating. Let people, men be with men and women be with yeah. women. Cause there's probably a lot of men that'll go to that alive and well, who haven't just been around other guys only. Yes. I'm right? so glad you said that. Yeah. I, I don't have sons, but I always wanted one. And I just, I'm married to a man and I, that is, I'm so strong and so confident and so capable. And I, there's not a lot of those in the world. There was a lot of, you know, this, there's a big thing in Austin. that's like Peter Pan syndrome, like, you know, I never want to grow up and you know, whatever men mm-hmm. in their forties who've never even had a long-term girlfriend. And, um, I just, I, I think masculinity is so important. And in our culture right now, it's just so frowned upon to be mad, toxic masculinity. And yes, masculinity untempered and unchecked is bad. I mean, it can be, it's, we've seen my, it in the world, my like, play out, is, but like masculinity that is considered toxic is the lack of balance of masculine and feminine in a man. It is a man mm-hmm. who is insecure or, and so it's not really masculinity, right? It's almost the lack of masculinity. Yeah. I, I, it's like an insecure masculinity yeah. and it truly confident man who knows how to be soft in the right time and knows when to be strong is very rare to find. And it's, I think it's because there's so few dads. I mean, the people are divorced. Half the people who get married get divorced. If they're having kids, they're likely living with a mom and they're not seeing the dad. And, and that's important. Like kids need dads and not everybody's going to get one and not, you can definitely raise a totally awesome kid without one. But I think it does take them a little bit longer to figure it out. Right. And I, I, I don't want to, every kid's different. And I certainly know amazing women raising sons by themselves totally. and doing an amazing job. But I, I hope those sons find other men to relate to and to be strong with and to learn from. Yeah, there was a study I heard that young boys who often wrestle with their dads, and you can take this as even if they don't have a dad, that are just roughhousing with older mm-hmm. men, whether it's sports or martial arts mm-hmm. grow up way more confident than boys who don't roughhouse with yeah. their dads. I've seen and actually for girls too. <laughs> really? Just, yeah, I've seen That's studies cool. for that too. Like they have more confidence. They grow up to be more like well adjusted, right? But it's like me. So my sister's dating an amazing man, Roy, and he does jujitsu. And I just started doing it. And I like I started doing it because I have this vision. It's like, what a great way for two, like, you know, me and him to be able mm-hmm. to like wrestle with each other to create bonding with our two families, but also with our kids Mm -hmm. to have this almost way of connecting with each other and kind of moving through feelings and emotions and whatever 
in that roughhousing way in a very safe way. Yeah. I just, you need that. You need to test the boundaries of your masculinity, right? Like how far is too far? It's, I mean, you see it in animals, like they fight and then there's like a too much and it's a yelp and it's like, okay, I'm going to back <laughs> off. Like yeah. you need that like safe environment where you can test that boundary and you know, like, okay, I know I can go there if I need to, but I know when to hone it in. I know when any, I know how to hone it and I know when to rein it in and I know when it's too much and, mm-hmm. and to have, you know, you also need that balance of the femininity, like to know when to come in and be soft and try to be more empathetic and, you know, we don't, I don't need my husband to be as empathetic as me. Sometimes I need him not to be, <laughs> so that we can like get some stuff done in the world, but <laughs> yeah, tell me you know, like it's just that balance and yeah. in, in yourself and then with mm-hmm. somebody else. Right. And that's, that's oh. hard to find. And that's what makes good partnership. Right. Exactly. So what does legacy mean to you? Yeah. That I leave the world better than I've entered it. And that's right? where, like is that is, where alive and well comes in? Yeah, I hope so for sure. And I, it is, when I'm in Alive and Well, I often am wearing just like yoga pants and a bad t-shirt or something. And nobody knows I own Alive and Well. And I'll be in the IV room and I'll just hear people talking to each other about their experiences. And sometimes one person's been in there the first, it's their first time and they're nervous about getting an IV and someone who's been in there and they're on their like 50th NAD drip. And, um, you know, they've done it, been there and they're just talking and they're talking about their stories and their wealth wellness journeys and how they got where they are and what they're doing about it. And somebody's ahead in the journey and they just talk and they're like, this place That's cool. has made me better. And they, they'll, they'll say like, Oh, I love so-and-so at the front. Or you have, you tried the supplement? And I'm like, Oh gosh, I'm like, I could cry when I'm sitting there because it's just so cool to have that kind of impact to empower people in that way to say, you don't need to be on this medication for the rest of your life. Like I, that's the legacy is that creating a new way, like being on the front line of changing the system, or at least saying you don't have having a choice. Like there's an alternative to this sick care system if you want to find it. And so the goal is to get that to as many people. It's not affordable all the time. So how do you make people value it so that they understand, like, I need to invest in myself and care enough about myself to do that. But yeah, leaving having someone come in and have a place where they can say, I don't feel well. And they can see a functional practitioner. That practitioner can customize their medicine and send it to our compounding lab and formulate, you know, bioidentical hormone support while they try to work to get you. We have clinical supplements that you can't get on Amazon that are, you know, only a physician really can get them to you. And so they're high grade, they're potent and they're somebody can tell you how to take them and then you can get off the hormones hopefully and just take the supplements and then regulate your body and get it what it needs through IV. And we just hired a functional neurologist. Like, so, cause everything we were doing before was like sort of below the neck. And now we have someone who can help you overcome, like rewire synapses, overcome trauma. We, I think I want to do more of this, Michael and I do is have a facility where it's, yes, we have our employees and it it's better for us that way because we can create that, that roadmap for like, you've come in and you can see this person, this person, this person, you can take these supplements, you can take these drugs, you can go get this holistic therapy, you can go get the red light to amp up your mitochondria. You can get ozone, you can get this crazy cool IV that you can't get anywhere else in the country. Like that kind of stuff 
is changing people's lives. And we want to do more of that, but we also have office space that we rent to other sort of like-minded practitioners. They come in and, you know, we have like a functional chiropractor that's coming on. We have amazing acupuncturists that do like sound therapy and, um, energy clearing. And, um, we have this woman that has this machine that you put on your around your head and it rewires your brain. I mean, it's incredible. Like That's so cool. it's pretty deep to explain that one. So I'm not going to go there at this time, but, and so you should be able to come to live and well, and even if we can't treat you directly, we can refer you out to like the awesome practitioners that rent space from us. And, and that just having people be able to access that kind of thing to me is, is the legacy and all over the country be able to do that. And maybe other countries, hopefully too. So, I love it. I'm super yeah. excited. Yeah. I'm very, you know, passionate about what you're doing. You know, I think it's amazing and I want to support it in any way I can. That's why you're here. And I think you have an amazing story. Same. I want, you know, people to be able to go somewhere and it's hard because you have so many memberships everywhere. And, um, I think what you do is really cool because, you know, it's, it's pricey personal training, but it's worth it. You're very knowledgeable. There's great women. If you want to be in community, if you want to work out one-on-one, but you don't have to have a membership and, um, you know, what you're doing is not pretentious and it's just solid and the environment's really cool. And, you yeah. know, I hope so I can point more people toward you. I well, love it. So. My goal is to create an alive and well, but just more of the strength sauna core yeah, plunge. Yeah, for sure. Right. Empowering people to empower their own health. Yes, right. Exactly. That's, that's the goal. <laughs> In well, Liz, ways. I could talk to you for another hour for sure. And <laughs> but I'll, nobody I'm, would listen to that I, extra hour. So they they definitely it. would. <laughs> But uh, we'll save it for another time. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being here. How do people thank find you, you and uh, people that aren't in Austin? You know, yeah. how, where do they begin if they want to come check out Alive and Well? Yeah. Um, our website is a really good place to start aliveandwellaustin.com. And our Instagram, we try to post, I'm starting the social media. So you'll may see more of my work on there. Anyway, our, our Instagram is really good. We put a lot of educational stuff on there to teach people about supplements and the different kind of holistic therapies we offer. Um, I think that's alive and at alive and well Austin also. And then that's really, those are the two main places to find us. You can set up even a telemed with functional practitioner and you can order stuff on our e-commerce website, which is also available through the main website. So yeah. And then mine, very inactive Instagram is Liz Swale, S-W-A-I-L, at Liz Swale. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Any final last words of wisdom to our listeners about health, fitness, or life? Yeah, I just think if you want to make a change and you're just, just try it. Just try something new. Give up something, but add something else in to replace it. When you create a vacuum, like you just leave something out and you don't replace it with something, it something else unhealthy could fall in there. Like, so if you're going to take out the alcohol, there's some cool things you can try little cocktails. There's all these euphoric drinks out there. Kin K I N is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. There's a, I think it's called seed lip and they have like, it makes you feel like you're drinking it. Try that. I would just say like, encourage everybody do a little mini alcohol cleanse, give it a try. Just, um, and if you know what, if your friends don't like it, find new friends. Find new friends. Like if, if you Build feel like family, yeah. if you weren't socializing and you drank the same amount, but you took the people out of it, you'd probably think you're an alcoholic. I mean, that's, I've noticed that wow. with my group of friends. And if, if, if you think like, if you took out the social aspect of what you're doing and you drank that many times just by yourself, would you think that was bad? If so, 
maybe it was a little bit scary to think about like, wow, if I drank four days a week by myself, you know, so is socializing really an excuse just to do something that maybe you you're just actually getting sick. together to drink. Right. And so <laughs> find new friends. Like I know it's hard. It's hard. I've been uninvited in groups to mm-hmm. things. Cause maybe I'm not so fun or <laughs> make people feel good about themselves. I don't know, yeah. but I have new awesome friends. So surround yourself with people that you want to be more like and find that community and try something new, give it, give the coffee up, give the alcohol up, but replace it with something positive, replace it with a walk, replace it with, you know, I have a friend, we go drink tea at fancy restaurants together. He's like, Christina. So <laughs> it's just, you need to, you need some, maybe you need some new friends. I don't know. And you can find them at your gym. <laughs> I love it. Well, Liz, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Liz, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Another awesome episode. Guys, I want you to think about Liz's philosophy of having it all. And I want you to think about what are one or two areas where you can start to put your energy, right? Maybe you've been lifting weights for a while and you've kind of got that steady and it's working well for you. Maybe you're starting to get your nutrition more into play. Maybe it's time to dive into your marriage, or maybe it's time to explore more of your connection to God or spirit or whatever it may be, or maybe it's time to explore yourself, to deep dive into your own being, your own purpose, the legacy you're trying to live. So pick one or two areas and start to dive into those. And you can just simply start by, you know, on a walk or in meditation or even at the beginning of a workout, asking yourself in a way without trying to figure out an answer, almost in a place of receiving the answer, you know, what is an area I can improve upon? Where do I feel called to? And just see what feelings come up. Kind of begin there. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please Follow and leave a written five-star review. It helps so much. All right, guys, I will see you, hear you. You'll hear me on the next episode.